0: our podcast breathe in right out a podcast for high school college and university students about making the most out of academic life we touch on study skills student life career transition overall well-being personal development and other topics that impact young adults at the end of each podcast we send our listeners off with a short guided meditation and writing prompt We hope that through these discussions, meditations, and writing exercises, we can build an open, caring, compassionate community that supports personal growth. I'm Lisa Pfau, the founder and CEO of Pfau Academic Writing, where we focus on teaching young adults the communication skills necessary to reach their full potential on the page and in life. Get into a cozy spot, grab your pen and notebooks, and let's meet our first guest. This week's episode is part of our careers in the liberal arts series but with a twist we'll be talking about vocations a vocation is defined as a strong feeling of suitability for a certain occupation people who talk about being called to do something or that they couldn't imagine doing anything else are likely pursuing a vocation i personally feel like teaching is my vocation but not all teachers feel like me for some it may just be a job However, one profession that requires individuals to feel called to it before they can even get an entry level position is ministry. This is an area of work that is often not discussed by career counselors because of its status as a vocation. But for individuals who seek meaning, purpose, and a connection to something beyond themselves, this may be the ideal path. This week's guest is Reverend Emily Gordon, a minister of the United Church of Canada here in Toronto. Emily did not start out her education knowing that she would one day become a minister, but her education has helped her in ministry. Emily completed her Bachelor of Arts Honours in English and Classics at Mount Allison University, followed by a Master's of English and Print Culture from Simon Fraser University. After a couple years of exploration and reflection, she felt the call to the ministry and enrolled in a Master's of Divinity from Emmanuel College becoming an ordained minister in 2015. Her original love of reading and writing is now expressed in reflecting on biblical and other spiritual texts and writing prayers and sermons for church services and other materials. Welcome to our podcast, Breathe In, Write Out, Emily.
1: Hi, uh, thanks for inviting me to be on your podcast.
0: You're welcome. I'm I'm excited by this. It's kind of unusual and, Mm -hmm. um, I think some people will be surprised and um i mean people usually don't know what what it how do people get to be ministers what is it about yeah it's
1: interesting actually um people when i meet them for the first time although that's not happening that much right now but um when i meet people for the first time often surprise is the first thing that people express when they hear what i do um (laughs) it's it's not a on your list of typical, <laughs> typical things to be doing with your life.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So we we want to explore that a little bit today, but I I want to start out with, um, just like your journey to realizing that you felt called to be a minister. Can you okay. tell us a bit yes, about I,
1: that? Yes, I I guess uh, that was the whole question. <laughs> um, one of the things that comes up a lot when you're in the process of entering ministry is being able to talk about your call to ministry so you talked about the meaning of the idea of vocation and vocation um, comes from the latin word fox which just means voice um so vo- a vocation is a calling it's um a voice that's calling you towards something um to towards a certain work or a certain purpose and In order to become a minister, uh, part of the process that the denomination uh, asks you to take part in is being clear that this is a calling rather than just an idea of something that you could do, you know, sort of picked off a list or um, based on, you know, thinking about it for a few minutes. It's a fairly um, significant commitment that you make and most ministers that you might talk to if you have the opportunity will say that it wasn't an easy decision. Um, you don't just sort of fall into this. Mm-hmm. So originally I thought that I was going to be a professor and go into academia. Um, I was, as you mentioned, I did um, an honors bachelor's degree and a master's degree and was expecting to complete a PhD in English. Um, but I began to realize that I was not feeling satisfied with that as the work that I'd be doing for the rest of my life as much as I've enjoyed reading and writing my whole life. It, um, it wasn't the only thing that I wanted to do and I wasn't finding that work for me personally was meaningful enough or that I felt I could contribute what was what would make a, a sort of meaningful impact for other people so most people who go into ministry can tell something that's called a call story and that's how they felt called to to ministry and for different people this is experienced different ways so for some people it's through um, a lot of personal reflection for other people it's through the words of um, friends and people they know who encourage them to think about ministry my call story was actually a fairly direct experience um when i realized that i wasn't going to continue in academia i spent a lot of time thinking well what can i do i didn't feel yeah. like i was qualified for all that much having spent my whole time <laughs> studying english rather than uh, you know a professional career um and one day when i was asking this question what could i do i i felt um or i heard perhaps uh, a voice and when i say this i don't mean an actual literal voice speaking from outside (laughs) but sort of a a fully formed sentence that rose up from within me and for me i would understand that as god speaking to me um, in a non-audible but very real way because it felt both like a completely new idea of going into ministry but also something that felt deeply familiar and deeply right and in the next week or so after that, two different people who I respect um, quite a bit, asked me if I had considered going into ministry, and mm. um, the, the fact that that all sort of happened at once is, for me, sort of a sign of what we call the movement of the spirit, which is how we, um, in uh, Christian faith, talk about God uh, moving through the world and at work through uh, people in the world. And that's what started me in this direction. And I spent some time um, being very careful to make sure this wasn't just uh, a a passing idea, but something that I was called to. So I spent some time discerning and traveling and working in a church. And that sense of call continued to deepen.
0: Hmm. So is that typical that before people go into ministry, I mean, even after they experienced that call, that they would sort of dip their toe in and try it out and then slowly sort of get into the institution. The inst- like you have to go to, back to school. Um, in United Church, I think you have to go through a discernment committee, right? There's a bunch mm-hmm. of different steps.
1: That's right. And different denominations will approach this differently. So the United Church or the Anglican Church or the Catholic Church or the Baptist Church will all have different approaches to how you um, move into ministry. But in each case, it'll involve some form of education and training and some form of discernment and um, sort of spiritual, spiritual discernment, both individually but also usually with some form of group so i had a group from the congregation that i was a part of that met with me um, every month for a year and we spent time talking about my feeling of call and that same kind of experience usually happens in um, other churches and other denominations although it doesn't look exactly the same most people who feel called to ministry have had um involvement in a church not everyone Um, but most have already been involved in a congregation and have started moving into some forms of leadership, whether it's singing in a choir or leading small groups at the church or serving on committees and teams and find that that participation has um, led to feeling that they are called to something more.
0: Interesting. How, now, just just sort of along those lines, because that is a big long thoughtful process how often or how long do ministers typically stay in their position i mean it's probably not the same there's pro i mean when people talk about careers you know i did this thing for five years and i did this thing for 10 years there's a lot of change now with kind of this generation so Mm -hmm. you go into ministry are you do people typically then do that for a lifetime
1: do you ever get uncalled uh, <laughs> I guess we wouldn't use the term uncalled yeah
0: I know I um, <laughs> many
1: many people do it for a lifetime many people actually go into ministry as a second career and um, they've already done something else and um, have having spent some time in that they've acknowledged a call to ministry that they might have experienced earlier but decided to set aside because it seemed too difficult or because uh you know it, it's not the most lucrative of professions mm-hmm. um, but at this point they've uh, decided to listen to that call mm-hmm. and it's not the case that everyone who enters ministry does it for the rest of their lives. Some people find that that sense of call shifts to something else. Often it's something else that's related though, whether it's something like being a spiritual director, or I have a colleague who has um, gone into funeral services, um, which is in many ways related to ministry, but it's also very different in other ways. Um, And I mean, a whole range of, of other things, but, it's it's not something that you do for just a, a couple of years mm-hmm. it it takes a, a fair amount of work and discernment to get to the start of it so you don't usually just um move on a year or two right. later
0: can you tell us a little bit about what does a typical day of a minister look like cuz i think i think if we watch movies or tv or pop culture we see ministers like in the pulpit we see ministers preaching but that's only really a part of what a minister does right
1: that's right um and one of the the challenges that sometimes people who are in ministry experience is that that's when most people see us is on a on a sunday morning or another time when we're leading worship and uh, all the rest of what we do can be quite hidden um, to most people in the congregation or to the wider community. So there's, of course, the this, this worship service, whatever that might look like, takes preparation time. So that includes either writing prayers and um, or finding prayers that would be meaningful, um, putting together the different parts of the service, i um, one of the things I spend time doing is finding other people in the congregation who would like to read things or offer leadership in different ways. Um, but there's also everything else that our church does that um, as a minister, I'm deeply involved in. So I attend different committee meetings that talk about worship or talk about pastoral care, which is a way of talking about how we support people in our congregation um, who are visited by people who want a little uh, extra time to talk about things or a little bit of spiritual direction. Um, it might be people who are elderly or living on their own and could use someone else to spend time talking to them and we have people in our congregation who do, vis- do visiting and phone calls and I'll meet with them and do some of my my own to people in the congregation as well. Um, and then depending on the church there might be any number of other things that happen so for instance this fall we'll be doing a book study that i'll be leading um and i'm going to be leading a grandparenting group with uh, people in the congregation who are grandparents um, i meet with f- families that want to have someone baptized um, or sometimes couples that are planning on being married and uh sort of all the other sort of organizational things our congregation right now is at the end of a renovation so i've been part of the conversations about what kinds of decisions will be made and bring to that conversation uh where our faith and where our values might call us to make certain decisions about what our priorities are or how we communicate with that with our congregation um and other just other forms of communication as well so i'll Write messages that go to the congregation. Um, I fun. coordinate the communications team that our church has, so I'll be communicating with them about what kind of language and messages that we want to share, and uh, our connection with the the larger church as well is another thing that I do. Yeah. And not all of that happens every day, though. One of the things that's really um, wonderful about for me about a work. Um, being a minister is that there's a huge variety in what i do so there'll be some days when i'm mostly on my own not talking to anyone just reading and thinking about things and doing some writing and there'll be other days when i'm in meetings all day or i'm meeting with individuals one-on-one all day and spending a, a lot of time in social settings um and then there's times when i'll be organizing a small group and facilitating a conversation and then other times when i'm in front of uh, a whole congregation um and speaking to everyone so the the variety that's in this role um is pretty significant and it Mm -hmm. um it calls for a set of gifts that are very varied so some careers and some professions um you need a few very strong skills in order to do well in them. And other vocations or professions, you need to have a whole range of different skills and gifts, um, but not necessarily to be an expert in each one, but just mm-hmm. to have a, a good enough balance of those things to be able to do that work.
0: Interesting. It's, it sounds like the whole English degree communication really probably helps you out in many different areas of what you're doing in the church so you know that's kind of really interesting and i had another question sort of related to what you're doing i and i just wanted to kind of maybe dispel a myth or clarify something and this is something i thought when i started going to church i think people perceive or don't understand, or they think kind of the minister is the, is governing the church, the, the specific church they're working in, um, or they're kind of in charge of it. And it depends on the denomination and congregation and whatnot. But that's actually not the case, right? You're kind of in a, diff- you're kind of in a situation where you're, you're trying to bring different elements of, the church together but you don't have a lot of formal power. I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah,
1: I, I think that's another thing that varies a lot by the denomination. Um, in the United Church, um, the decisions for the congregation are not just made by the minister, they're primarily made by whoever the governing uh, group of the congregation is so that might be the church council or a church board and they'll make decisions about um, what the budget is who the who the staff are what priorities for the congregation might be and um also different specific decisions on on different topics Um, a minister um i can make certain decisions i mean I decide each week what worship will be about. Um, I decide on ideas for uh, different programs that we might run. But most of the decisions are best if they're based in a conversation with other people. So rather than uh, me saying this is what we need to do and this is what I care about, listening to what the interests and the desires are of the congregation and finding ways to Uh, support those and facilitate those. I find that at committee meetings, um, one of the things that I do a lot is I'm a person who, when I hear a number of different opinions and uh, voices around the group, will try to pull it all together and say, I think what I'm hearing is most people feel this and would like to see this happen. And in order to to sort of synthesize um, and express what often we find difficult to express as human beings because we spend a lot of time talking around things um, and not sure exactly of what we mean. And this is maybe one of those uh, hidden ways that uh, English background has been really valuable, is you spend a lot of time thinking about what is the meaning behind an argument? How do you state things clearly? How do you synthesize different ideas? um into something short you know how do you summarize and all of those um writing and language skills uh, i come in to what i do in this uh, opportunity to bring together uh, different voices and bring a conversation that might seem not to have direction to a point where a decision can be made and people are able to say yes that is what i was feeling or actually i might have been saying that but that's not actually what i think yeah it should be it should be different
0: interesting yeah i was thinking that and not only that like if in your english degree i mean i'm not an english major i did political science but it's somewhat similar in the humanities and social sciences is that as an academic you're supposed to be somewhat objective right you're kind of taking what's out there putting it together and saying, hey, this is what I got from, from what these other people are saying. So yeah, very similar to a meeting. And then I really liked what you said about, well, this is what I said, but maybe this is not what I mean. And I think especially in literature, there's a lot of, well, what, what, what what's the story with this author? Like, how do we interpret what they're saying? We can't just look at the face value. So definitely mm-hmm. some, connection between that academic background and what you're doing right now
1: i think one of the things about um ministry and probably academics as well is that there's this um notion of being objective or objectivity that we need to really challenge and dispel because that's often based on an assumption of what's um what's normative or a presumed position. And one of the things that certainly as part of my education and ministry, we spend a lot of time talking about is what our contexts are. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that I'm I, objective in conversations and I don't really think that anyone is in any academic discourse, yeah. but um, I am aware of the context that I bring and I take that awareness as a way to be able to listen to people coming from other contexts and other opinions Mm -hmm. um, and try to provide something that's meaningful out of that. And it's, it's certainly the case that I'll talk about things that I think are important um, and sometimes at length and very strongly, but it may also be the case that the rest of the congregation that I am working with doesn't feel the same way. And if that's the case, that's as far as it goes. I'm, I'm not going to make the congregation in, engage with a topic or have the same uh, opinions and evalu- and values that are identical to mine, but I am going to uh, ask everyone in, a, in the church that I'm with to continue to think about what it is that's important and what it is that matters and why that's the case and how that informs the decisions that we're making. Mm-hmm. So uh, often the the values and beliefs that we carry um, happen at a, I'm thinking of a sub sub level, like yeah. you know below water, not something yeah. that's visible um, or recognized. And I think our uh, religion and uh, spiritual language invites us to spend a bit of time recognizing what we don't usually recognize about what we're doing and sometimes that's a matter of saying you know what we're doing this all the time and actually here's why this is important how this is a part of our faith life even when it doesn't seem like it and sometimes it's a case of saying you know what we're spending a lot of time on this but why are we doing that what's the value or importance is this something that we actually need to shift our time away from because there's something that we could be doing that's more in line with what we think our our faith and what our religion calls us to
0: mm-hmm. yeah well i objective was not the best word again i'm not an english major
1: so. <laughs> yeah and this, I, I this think... wasn't a, it wasn't a criticism of you i think this is a very uh commonly Held way of thinking about both academics and um, uh, yeah, it, or leadership you know, is something that should positions. be objective, and it's uh, based on this um, narrative that hides um, hides a position as something that doesn't carry bias when yeah. all of us carry our our own contexts, our own cultures, our own biases to whatever it is that we're doing.
0: Yeah, no, that's a good point. I think I was getting at kind of a little bit of developing that awareness when you're having to interpret texts and stuff, like putting in their context and understanding you're in a different context and whatever. Um, but, I, but I really liked your point, and I really liked how you kind of brought that up that that's not the role. The role is not to impose ideas or that you're some sort of quote unquote expert, but really you're doing your best to facilitate, at least in your, I mean, different groups function in different ways, right? But it sounds like you're really focused on facilitating, okay, as a community, what do we value? What's important? How do we want to have things go? and you're kind of able to sit back and do your best to try to synthesize some of those and present them back to the community for more further discussion.
1: Mm -hmm. And as a minister, as a religious leader, part of that uh, process of synthesizing and bringing it back to the congregation is saying, how is that a part of God's vision for the world? Or how does this fit into, the sacred story that is part of our tradition and and part of what we're called to um, be living out in our daily lives. So it's different from just someone who is sitting and hearing uh, a group and saying, this is what you've said. Uh There's an extra uh, addition of a narrative or a connection to our faith story and our our theology which just means you know the words that we say about god Mm
0: -hmm. yeah yeah i think people don't really think about that that's a good point um so i want to you mentioned you do a lot of different things in a lot of different capacities um sometimes it sounds it would seem like maybe being a minister could be tiring especially during holidays and stuff like that um, What kind of things bring you joy and kind of keep you going as a minister? Nothing.
1: Yeah, joy. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I I think one of the things that you need to do really in any vocation or any profession is find how that is something that nurtures you and feeds you. Um, And it's not necessarily going to be every single thing that you do, but you have to, in whatever it is that you do, find something that is um, renewing you, not just draining you. Mm -hmm. And that looks like different things at different times for me. So sometimes it'll be a conversation with someone that I know has been meaningful for them. Sometimes it's um, a worship service that is, really um touched people and you can you can tell that or people have shared that with you. Um, for for me as someone who loves language, sometimes it's in reading a scripture or poetry um, or writing some poetry or writing a reflection that I think um, it's something that's sort of a creative expression as well as a message or something that I'm trying to communicate. So I, I wouldn't say that it's just one thing that brings joy. Um, for me, it's, it's about finding where the joy exists in what we're doing rather than trying to find happiness or trying to find joy.
0: That's, that's an interesting point. Finding where it exists instead of seeking it out, just kind of knowing it's already there and, being, and kind of being in tune with it more. Mm-hmm. Um, I did mention, and I've sort of observed this going to church, that especially during the holidays, it can be tough, and I know um you know we're adults as adults, there's more responsibilities uh you yourself, you have a family, so how do you sort of balance that with being a minister in a relatively large church?
1: Yeah, well, I mean for me and my family one of the things is a very careful sh- schedule which makes sure that I know where I'm putting my time and focus so um I, you know at, at different times in how I work that is structured differently right now because we're working at home it means that basically my whole day is laid out in terms of this is the time I spend with my family, this is the time when I'm working, uh, this is the time that's just for me, this is the time when we're eating meals together um, and trying to bring clarity to that so that I can focus on being present in whatever is happening rather than spending my time thinking about whatever it is I'm not doing, whether it's my time with my family or whether it's my time at work. Um but that said, there's also a certain need for flexibility and uh, being able to find how things can change because um, one of the things about working with the church is many of the people um, who are you're working with have other commitments, which means that things are at strange times. So Most of our meetings are during the evenings or if I'm meeting with a family, it might be on a Saturday. So. Um, it it requires i guess both a certain planning and a certain flexibility
0: yeah interesting i i think i mean you're talking about ministry but what you said i think would apply a lot to my students and especially since they're now at home as well and they're not going to class and there's not much structure and i observe they're they're struggling to build that structure so i really like what you said about you know, I have blocks of time for different things and I'm staying present in the moment in those activities and just setting up those blocks and boundaries really helps to be present, but not being so rigid that you can't have other things come into the schedule. So even for those who are not ministers, who are not thinking of ministers, I think that's, um very wise so
1: thanks for sharing. Yeah I I found this was easier to do once there were um, children relying on me to be very organized. (laughs) I found it harder back when I was a student but I might mention um, a technique that I use that's called um, parking lots. Hmm. So I first started using parking lots when I was writing essays Hmm. and the parking lot was the place where you put any ideas you had where you didn't know where it fit into the essay you were writing. Either you had an idea and it just didn't seem to fit, you put it into the parking lot or you wrote something and realized it didn't belong where you put it and you could you know, copy and paste that whole paragraph or set of sentences into the parking lot. And mm-hmm. what the parking lot does is it gives you a place where that rests, where you know it's still there. If you need it again, or if you figure out where it belongs, you haven't lost that work. Mm-hmm. Um, but you don't have to spend time worrying about it or thinking about it um because you've set it aside mm-hmm. so that parking lot approach can also be applied to what we do um in how we think about what's going on in our lives so i mm-hmm. uh, on days when i'm not working one of the strategies i sometimes use depending on how much i'm th- um how much is going on at work right now is uh, starting a parking lot and this will just be a piece of paper might be my planner or just a scrap piece of paper and anything that's on my mind um goes on to that so it might for instance say phone lisa <laughs> and then it might say send an email to bob and then it might say uh oh yes you need to finish writing that prayer for sunday and once I've got those things written down, I know I won't forget them. I don't have to spend time thinking about them right now. And I know that once I'm working again, I'll be able to just look at that list and add it to whatever my list for the day is. And, um, and this is so smart. It's uh, much better than trying to just focus on being off and not thinking about work, but having it moving at the back of your mind. Yeah. Um,
0: I'm gonna and same thing that. with
1: studies. Yeah. So parking lots.
0: Parking lots. Yeah, I do something similar. I have a journal that's for work, and I just write random stuff. I don't care like how it's. It could be a drawing, whatever. And I just offload stuff in there, and then I'll kind of look at it at the beginning of the next day when I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do for that day. So, kind of interesting. I liked how you applied it to essays. So that would just be at the end of your essay, you just have a blank page, or like how does this parking lot?
1: Yeah, usually um, in, for an essay, I would do it just at the bottom of the essay. Mm. Um, and I'd write parking lot, and anything that didn't fit in immediately or needed to be moved somewhere and I didn't know where, I'd just copy and paste in. When we do essay writing on computers now, it's so much easier mm. to use a parking lot um, than when you're writing something by hand. Yeah. It's, it's I would back in the, the day thing. when we wrote our essays by hand.
0: Yeah. Or had library cards. <laughs> nobody knows how to use a card catalog anymore. Um, so for people who are, for students who are religious or spiritual, what would you say is something that would be beneficial to their daily spiritual practices? Something they perha- you perhaps couldn't live without?
1: So one of the things that I like to think about when I'm thinking about uh, spiritual practices is that often we come with a very narrow idea of what can be a spiritual practice. So it might be um, meditation or prayer or reading scripture. Um, and we can miss all of the other things that can be spiritual practices so for instance for me one of the things that is often a good spiritual practice is going for a walk Mm. and that opportunity um, to move and be outside um, see the world not talk to anyone and just have a space where I can reflect on what's happening and what's happening inside of me and also listen to what might be important what might matter that sometimes sort of uh, arises as you don't have something else that you need to do Mm and so I mean that could be an option I I thought I might mention a couple of things um, right now one of them is I'm guessing that you've talked based on the, the name of your podcast breathe in right out that you've talked about intentional breathing
0: yeah we have a meditation in every podcast
1: so, intentional breathing doesn't have to be as long as a meditation. Mm-hmm. And it might be that if there are people who don't find med- a whole meditation meaningful, they might just appreciate doing intentional breathing. And intentional breathing can be something as simple as you breathe in for five counts, you pause, you breathe out for seven counts, and you pause. And if you just repeat that sort of three or four times, You can do that at the start of the day, at the end of the day, or any other time where um, everything that's happening just starts to feel like a bit too much. What it does is it it grounds you into where you are. Uh, It brings um, air and oxygen into your body and sort of nourishes it that way. And it's a a deeply spiritual practice. Um, In the Christian faith, uh, the third person of the Trinity, uh, the spirit, is associated with breath, and one of the the words for the spirit is ruach uh, this is the Hebrew word which means breath and yeah. um, this and the, whole, the the movement of the holy Spirit is understood as the breath of God, so something yeah. as simple as intentionally breathing is connecting us to God and uh, to our faith yeah.
0: um
1: and i i mean me for me personally long meditations are not something that um, I have a lot of time for, and often um, I d- I don't want anyone else telling me how to meditate. I yeah. I will reflect on my own, but a, an intentional uh, breathing practice um, is is really meaningful and it helps refocus on what matters. The other thing that I thought I might mention, which is a an important spiritual practice for me, is simplicity. So simplicity is both. Try not to allow our lives to become too complicated and also looking for um well you could say the simple joys or the simple goodness and what already exists and we talked about something similar to that a little earlier on um yeah. but once again i think this is something that is deeply rooted in in the christian tradition and in other religious traditions as well
0: mm-hmm. i like that again kind of taking it out of what we might assume or think about we should be doing as a spiritual practice but making it just you know about living like these are things you can do while you're going through your day while you're living your life um yeah
1: and and um i might mention that for me the idea of a spiritual practice the practice part is really significant in that they're Mm -hmm. not like spiritual acts or spiritual accomplishments, they spiritual practices. And it's like um, playing piano or playing a sport, uh, learning a language, that, that act of practicing really matters. And there's times when it feels like you keep doing this and nothing more is accomplished, but at a certain point, you are able to recognize how much further along you are and Mm -hmm. in spiritual terms that might be how much more grounded you're feeling or how much more connected you're feeling to yourself or to other people or to the divine apart from yourself and other people although the divine exists within us and within others as well
0: Mm -hmm. I like that because yeah there's a lot of talk about meditation you know and it seems like you have to be at this level and doing this a certain way and so i like i like that first these are things we can easily do you don't need to be an expert you can do it every day in a way that works for you and that this is something you're doing all the time doesn't have to be perfect it doesn't have sometimes it might be easier sometimes it might you might go on a walk and just be in a grumpy mood but, mm-hmm. you know, going on the walk every so however often you, you do it in a week or whatever is part of that grounding exercise. And it's interesting because the things you mentioned are a lot of things I do. And some of them are, it's kind of like it's the same philosophy I would teach for writing, that writing is a practice. Like I say, you should do free writing. Like even if you do it five minutes a day it actually helps your ability to write and you get less writer's block because you're just used to writing like sitting down and writing so same kind of idea mm-hmm. um i want to get to books because i like books you like books um, yes. and i wondered if you had one or two or a few book recommendations that you might want to provide to the audience um, for things related to spirituality spiritual needs or realizing your call to the church
1: yeah so i i had three come to mind so i'll share all three but i won't spend too long on any of them the first one is a book by kathleen norris called cloister walk Hmm. and in it she talks about um, sort of her movement into a, a more spiritual place and while not being um, herself <clears throat> a, a monk or a nun, uh, she spends time in a, a convent or monastery and uh, pays attention to the the daily rhythms of life, uh, the regular times of prayer that are are part of a, the cloistered life. Um, and writes about uh, spirituality and faith coming out of those experiences. Is,
0: and, is that a memoir? Uh,
1: yeah. Okay. Yeah, It, I mean, it, it's sort of a, a memoir slash spiritual reflection. Okay.
0: Um,
1: it, it speaks to some of the ideas that I've talked about, about how we're invited to find sort of the rhythms in our daily lives.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, the second book, is quite different it's by um Marcus Borg who was uh, a, 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 he was called a Jesus scholar someone who studied the historical person of Jesus and he wrote um, one of the books that he wrote is a, a very short book but a, quite a significant one called meeting Jesus again for the first time and in it he talks about um what he learned in studying this historical person of Jesus and how that brought a different faith understanding for him. So while he'd grown up to the church, he decided he was um, atheist or at least agnostic, but was yet interested in studying Jesus as a person. And through that work, found himself coming to a different understanding of faith and has become a very um, significant Christian writer. In you know the last few decades, and the third book that I thought I'd mention is called *Learning to Walk in the Dark* by Barbara Brown Taylor. Mm-hmm. And in it, she talks uh, a little bit about actual physical darkness, mm-hmm. and also a little bit about what that can be a metaphor for in our lives and in our lives of faith. So uncertainty, doubt, grief, um, all of these things that we are sometimes told shouldn't be part of our um, experience as, um, either someone who's part of a religious tradition or just as someone generally as culture and society often tries to present this narrative of needing to be happy to be successful to have everything be perfect you have the, the perfect Instagram photo um, and that if we can't accomplish that all of the time we are in some ways failing or um, need to be uh sort of ignored Yeah, (laughs) we can't pay attention to that either in our lives or to the people who carry that and her suggestion is that we should be thinking of all these things our lives and our faith as something that exists in cycles much like the cycles of the moon so that there are times of, of brightness and times of darkness there are times of of joy there are times of sadness there are times of certainty and confidence and there are other times of doubts and questions and uncertainty and none of those um, are, are a judgment on the value in our of our life um, yep. or a judgment on ourselves and there none of those are a judgment on the strength or the depth of our faith they're all a uh, part of that expression of our faith
0: interesting great books they we had someone come in and talk about resilience one of my former classmates and she spoke about a lot of similar things about how life is not linear and stuff but not in terms of really spirituality but i think that's a a great message to repeat out to the audience is you know instagram is not reality (laughs) <laughs> and and um, life has light and dark and um, yeah, we're all just doing our best. So I, I hope that, um, you know, you don't need to be religious or spiritual to enjoy those bo- books. I hope that uh, the listeners will take a look and thanks so much, Emily, for joining us. I mean, I've known you a while, but I learned a lot more about you and what you do
1: well i'm so glad that you invited me and that we found the time to connect with each other and talk a little bit more
0: yeah so Thank if you. anyone wants to find out more about emily you can find her on the Lee Side united church website and the website's www.leesideunited.org You can also,
1: I'm sorry to interrupt, but we also have a YouTube channel now because everyone's on YouTube for COVID. So if you just search Leaside United Church on YouTube, you can find our YouTube
0: channel. Does that have sermons on it or what's on the YouTube
1: channel? Um, Yes, it has uh, short worship services. Um, We also have some wonderful music coming from our congregation and uh, a children's program called Stories and Crafts. but um there's there's some standalone reflections but mostly um uh, worship services or parts of worship services between 15 minutes and half an hour long
0: okay great that's great for people who are looking for um some church related content but we can't go back to church and it looks like we won't (laughs) for a little bit here um so yeah, thanks for letting us know. And I know you also, I think Leeside United is also on Instagram and you do some posts there. So- Yes,
1: yes, uh, we, as a church, I don't personally run them, but we have an Instagram account, a Twitter account, Facebook account.
0: Okay, great. So thanks again, Emily. And I just want to remind everyone else to stay tuned for a brief meditation and reflective writing exercise.
2: breathing meditation you will focus on your breath this will calm your mind and relax your body there is no right or wrong way to meditate whatever you experience during breathing meditation is right for you don't try to make anything happen just observe begin by finding a comfortable position but one in which you will not fall asleep Sitting on the floor with your legs crossed is a good position to try. Close your eyes or focus on one spot in the room. Roll your shoulders slowly forward and then slowly back. Lean your head from side to side, lowering your left ear towards your left shoulder and then your right ear toward your right shoulder. Relax your muscles your body will continue to relax as you meditate. Observe your breathing. Notice how your breath flows in and out. Make no effort to change your breathing in any way. Simply notice how your body breathes. Your body knows how much air it needs. Sit quietly, seeing in your mind's eye, your breath flowing gently in and out of your body. When your attention wanders, as it will, just focus back again on your breathing. Notice any stray thoughts, but don't dwell on them. Simply let the thoughts pass. See how your breath continues to flow, deeply, calmly. Notice the stages of a complete breath. From the in-breath, to the pause that follows, the exhale, and the pause before taking another breath. See the slight breaks between each breath. Feel the air entering through your nose. Picture the breath flowing through the cavities in your sinuses and then down to your lungs. As thoughts intrude, allow them to pass and return your attention to your breathing. See the air inside your body after you inhale, filling your body gently. Notice how the space inside your lungs becomes smaller after you exhale and the air leaves your body. Feel your chest and stomach gently rise and fall with each breath now as you inhale count silently one as you exhale count one wait for the next breath and count again one exhale one inhale one exhale one continue to count each inhalation exhalation as one Notice how your body feels. See how calm and gentle your breathing is and how relaxed your body feels. Now it is time to gently reawaken your body and mind. Keeping your eyes closed, notice the sounds around you. Feel the floor beneath you. Feel the clothes against your body. Wiggle your fingers and toes. Shrug your shoulders. Open your eyes and remain sitting for a few moments longer straighten out your legs and stretch your arms and legs gently. Sit for a few moments more, enjoying how relaxed you feel and experiencing your body reawaken and your mind returning to its usual level of alertness. Slowly return to standing position and continue with the rest of your day feeling re energized.
0: I hope that your mind is clear you have your pen and your paper in hand and you're ready to do a quick writing exercise so Emily talked at the end a little bit about the author Marcus Borg and she mentioned one of his books I've also read a book he's written called speaking Christian and that is really all about the language and kind of deconstructing or understanding the language of Christianity. So I thought I would use that to inspire the writing exercise for today. In particular, I want to share a little bit about the history of the words believe and faith. So believe, we kind of think like you believe, you believe in God, you, you know, you believe it's real. But actually, prior to the 1600s, the word belief in Old English was beloof, which means to hold dear or would be more close to beloved. So you were to love God or Jesus. And so for a moment, I want you to think. Now, you don't need to be religious to do this. I want you to think about a few things that you beloved. What do you hold dear to you? What do you pour your love on? And just to make note of those, and either in a list or a short paragraph, just take a moment to note some of the things in your life, real or abstract, that you beloved. You can pause the podcast if you like. So I'm going to move on to the next word, faith. And again, we would think of faith in our modern society, modern English, as again, sort of believing in something. But if you go backwards to the root word of faith, fiducia, it actually means trust. And it doesn't mean just a commitment to god or uh, christianity or your religion but it actually means a deep trust in god the opposite of which would be kind of being anxious so again i want you to pause and i want you to reflect on we're kind of in a period of uncertainty right now it's very stressful we don't know what's happening with COVID. I want you to reflect on what are some things, some people, some institutions, that you have faith in in this moment? So in Canada, something that's been really useful is the government has been putting out some helpful programming. So I might think I have faith in the government. Just to note some of those down. Take a moment, pause the podcast, now, why did i want you to do this i think in these uncertain times it's important to remind ourselves and to sort of cultivate love so i want you to think about that and that we're not alone there are things in the world that are helping us that we have faith in whether we're religious or not um, And just to kind of take stock of those. And what I want you to do, or I hope that you'll do is this week, you will go forward and keep those things close to your heart or in your mind. And hopefully they will impact your perspective a bit. So I just want to thank everyone for listening to our podcast. It means a lot to us. We're putting it out there to help young adults to cope with this difficult time by interviewing different types of people, doing different things on topics we think might be related to or beneficial to students. So thanks so much for listening. We would love to hear from you. We hope you enjoyed today's show. And to find out more about Pfau Academic Writing, you can check out our website at www.pfau.ca or follow us on social media at phao underscore academic writing. I look forward to helping you reach your full potential on the page and in life.